welcome back to the ABC Movie Show. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And we're going to start off with a news story that happened this morning. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, the day before it gets published. And um, the French actor, uh, I am going to butcher his name, unfortunately, Gaspar Uliel, Uliel probably? Uliel? Uh, who hasn't really been in a lot of stuff. He's He was most known for, I think, playing Hannibal in a movie called Hannibal Rising. Uh, that's what American audiences would recognize him from, and uh, he's been in French films besides that. Uh, he's about to star opposite Oscar Isaac uh, as the villain, I believe, in Moon Knight. I think the character he plays is the villain. But with the series set to premiere soon, he unfortunately passed away earlier this morning uh, in a skiing accident at 37 years old, which... Tragic. You hate the. I mean, I can't. I'm not gonna pretend like I was a fan of him. Obviously, I, I didn't know who he was. I was aware of him. He was only on my radar from this show. But it's extreme. You gotta think it's extremely sad to see right before you know this a massive. What, what it will probably be a massive TV show with him as one of the top leading roles. Uh, and his life just gets cut so short. Yeah, my friend actually just texted me, who is from France, and she said that Gaspard was really big in the uh, French community, French I film mean, world. He's made a lot of French films, if you look at his IMDb. And mm. so, I mean, I would imagine so. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it, he majored in cinema when he went to college. Like, it seemed like he had a... Uh, a very sturdy career in France and was looking to break into the American market. And right before what was going to be a big, a big success for him, or at least a, something that would put him on the map. Um, he dies in this freak accident. Yeah. And he wasn't wearing a helmet either. So wear helmets, kids. Yeah. It's just, it sucks to opening the show on such a, a so, uh, solemn note solemn is that the word yeah and uh but i mean you know it's something that happened today and i thought we should talk about it a little bit um i mean he started acting at 12 and like that he knew that's what he wanted to do and it seemed like he had been getting high praise for it and was getting ready to make a big jump but yeah, well, I'm excited to see him in Moon Knight. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a shame. Uh, but this is going to be a this is a rough segue now to something that I'm actually very <laughs> excited about, and something that I love. So I'm just going to move the show on very awkwardly. Um, the Godfather 50th anniversary is coming up, and I've talked about it before um, on here, and I was saying this to Jacob earlier today. It's my belief that Godfather is the singular most important piece of American culture there ever has been, um, and Jacob has never seen it. So <laughs> we're on pretty yeah, opposite I mean, sides. We talked about it before, but I think now is the time where I'm going to finally see this movie because it's coming back to theaters. Right. It's getting re-released in AMC theaters uh, in the new, you know, in their Dolby big sound, you know, whatever the hell it is, their big Dolby digital shit. And uh, I was, they're also doing a, 
uh, new re-release of like the trilogy as a whole and they scanned it all back into so they could get it into 4k and yeah it was a 4k restoration which francis ford coppola approved and helped on right and so here's just a little bit of what into doing this restoration 300 cartons of film were scrutinized to find the best possible resolution for every frame of all three films. 4,000 hours were spent repairing film stains, tears, and other anomalies in the negatives. 1,000 hours were spent on rigorous color correction to ensure the high dynamic range tools were respectful of the original vision of Coppola and cinematographer Gordon Willis. Uh, 5.1 audio approved by Walter Murch. The original mono tracks on The Godfather and Godfather Part 2 have been restored, and Coppola oversaw all of it. And um, this is something I, I found in an article from Tech Guide, just to give a little shout-out to who it's coming from. But, I mean, the new re-release, I think, if you're a big Godfather fan, like I think it's something you have to get. They're, they have... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola doing an introduction for it all. Um, <clears throat> they have a documentary about like the restoration process of it. Um, they have the set photographer do uh, monologues and tell stories about all the pictures he took and show pictures that had never been seen before. They have eight millimeter home movie footage shot on set. Uh, and they talk about that, um, and they do before and hi- and after highlights uh, on some of the, like just to show examples of the improvements and so much more. Besides that, like it's insane if you look at the list. Well, I'm excited to watch it for the first time in theaters. Which yes, is pretty cool. Uh, I will be going as well. There's not an AMC theater in Athens, unfortunately, so I will be going to Atlanta to go see it. Hell yeah. Um, worth it well you have a 4k restoration which is awesome you you don't know if it's worth it (laughs) i mean seeing any type of old film that got restored in 4k i think is worth it i am so excited for you to see this movie because i really do think it'll change your perspective (laughs) on movies and i'm not wow like big statement it is insane and then when you find like there's so many things i constantly want to like especially recently have wanted to talk about and like reference to you, but like you would just wouldn't understand it. Do you think it's going to be one of those movies where like, I, I don't love it as much because so many movies have like copycatted it, you know, like I'm just like appreciating it more than like liking it itself. So this is it. So like citizen Kane type of thing. Well here I'll say this. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently, a rewatchables podcast with Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan, Bill Simmons and the guy who wrote rounders and billions and stuff. And they're talking about the Godfather part two and they're talking about part one and part two as a whole three is it's a rough discussion for everybody who loves these movies. But, um, so Sean Fennessy says when you grow up, you hear from people older than you, even people who don't love movies about how amazing these movies are and how necessary and important they are. I'm sure you've heard that uh, not even just from me, but I'm sure you've heard that from plenty of other people. Like these movies are a touchstone that you have to have a reference to. Yeah. And Sean Finnessy said, I remember the first time I watched him, my dad, he was like, my dad showed him to me when I was 12 or 13 or something. And I was worried that it wouldn't live up to it. And then it somehow does. 
Okay. Like, I'm telling you, you will watch it and you will be astounded by it. it have you what? seen any Francis Ford Coppola movies? No, I actually haven't. So, he is a crazy person. <laughs> he, I mean, he is. Uh, he, he, I'm sure you've heard the stuff about Apocalypse Now. Yeah. With, with The Godfather, he was constantly going over budget and was late and just so behind schedule and Paramount wanted to keep like they kept trying to fire him and he was just like no I'm making this movie this is my vision and him and Mario Puzo who wrote the book are like best friends and were like we're we're making the greatest pe-. like they were like we are making one of the greatest movies of all time wow. and it happened and it made Paramount so much money that they came to him and they were like what will it take for you to direct the sequel and he was like, I want to, he, and he was able to name his list of demands. He was like, I want to write and direct the conversation, which came out that year. Um, he wanted to direct an opera. He wanted, to, <laughs> he wanted final cut, complete control over everything, a massive pay raise. He wanted to shoot half of it in Italy. <laughs> it was, he's a, and they gave it to him. Yeah, of course. And I have so much on the like, – I just – I cannot – we're going to have to do an entire episode, no news, just on The Godfather when you finally see this movie because I have so much I've waited years to get <laughs> off of my chest. Well, yeah, the time has finally come. And, like, just another personal story, like, of my connection with this movie. My my dad uh, loves this movie, loves Godfather 1 and 2 and tolerates 3 and loves the books um i maybe it's because my 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 grandmother is like off the boat italian and like on his side and so we he has his own copy of the godfather and i had to buy one today because his is so leaf through and used because he's read it so many times it's like falling apart Wait, quick question. Is the Godfather book, is that just part one of the movies? So it is part one and half of part two because it ends where the first movie ends. Uh, okay. But the second one goes back to young. So the first Don, Marlon Brando's character is Vito Corleone. And it goes back and forth between like the book will flash back to when Don Vito was young, like in Sicily, then coming to America and how he rose up to where he is when the book opens. And part one, they didn't have time for it and it wasn't necessarily super important to the story he was telling. And so to do part two, they were cutting back and forth with like a continuation of the story in part one, like with... What, like what the family is doing next and what business ventures they're going after and, you know, obviously other rival mafia members and cutting back to Vito rising up. So it'll be a segment, a long segment about the modern day Corleone and then a flashback to Vito and then back and forth and back and forth. And it, I don't want to give anything away, but it creates this really interesting dynamic between the past and the present and the parts that happened in the present day, like with quotations, because it's like post-World War II. Um, those were written by Ford Coppola and uh, Puzo together because they didn't have any source material for it. So okay. they like, like 
Francis Ford Coppola like wrote a script and then sent it to Puzo and was like, no, Michael wouldn't do this. And then, or no, Fredo wouldn't do that. Or this deal with Hyman Roth would actually go like this. And <laughs> I was reading the introduction to The Godfather, actually, which Francis Ford Coppola did. I was, because I just got the book and he said that they would like hole up in a casino because Mario Puzo loved to gamble. And they'd like, if they got writer's block, they'd go down and they'd play roulette and they'd lose a shit ton of money and then they'd go back up and they'd write more. And Puzo said, he looked Sounds at, like a great strategy. Oh my God. He Well, he looked at um, Ford Coppola and he said, it's crazy because down here I'm losing thousands, but upstairs I know I'm making millions. <laughs> That's a great line. I mean, they're geniuses. I've talked entirely too long about this. <laughs> I'm eating up podcast time. I cannot wait for this restoration i cannot wait for you to finally see it like i know that i'm hyping it up a lot but i feel like you still won't be disappointed <laughs> it is no i mean everyone hypes this movie up so it's, it's i'm really excited next they, month is finally the time oh my god and being able to see it like being able to see it on the big screen for the first time yeah is unreal like as your first viewing i'm glad i waited honestly <laughs> it's like losing your virginity again <laughs> And so, um, I'll say this. I can't wait to pop my Godfather, Jerry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say this. Um, when my first time seeing it, and I'll tell this story again uh, when we do the, the Godfather pod, but my I was like, I was in middle school probably. Like, I had never watched it on my own because I knew how important these movies were to my dad, Like, who's not like a crazy film person like we are, but... these movies are so important to him and then I was waiting for him to be like all right we're gonna watch The Godfather and my family was going on a vacation and my mom and my sisters left the day before my dad and I and my dad was like all right tonight's the night and we turned off all the lights in the living room he has the DVD he had the DVDs I think we lost them when we moved houses but he has them all on Apple TV now puts the first DVD in and we watched all three in a row Hell yeah. Each movie is like three hours. <laughs> it was totally worth it. It was uh, it, it was indescribable. It was like the the world, like it felt like a, a veil had been lifted off of my face and I could see the world in full color. <laughs> Insane. All right. You're, help, you're hyping up this movie a lot. <laughs> it's life-changing. And then you're going to, like, I promise you, you're just going to watch it a million times. Like, I've seen it, like, 300 times. Like, it's like heat. Like I, I want a complete 180 on my life after I watch this movie. It'll definitely change. I bet it, like, the next time you go to make a film, you're going to be like, oh, man, i got to do some Godfather references. i got to shoot this, like, that one scene. Like, <laughs> No, I'm going to watch this movie and then quit filmmaking after. It might make good. you. It might make you. Cause like I genuinely watch it and I'm like I I could never I could never do this <laughs> it's insane um oh man uh, here's time for another terrible segue or maybe not this we we so I have on our slates uh re- requels which is actually something I pulled from the new Scream movie um wait they they said that word they in the say movie? it yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Scream's thing is that they've always been very meta. Like, they always okay. have been. It's a big draw of the movies, actually. It's hilarious. I love it. I know you don't have a relationship with those movies at all, but I have a huge one. I rewatched all four again with uh, of the originals with my girlfriend this weekend. 
and was like just the whole time I was like I fucking love these movies um <laughs> and so they talk about requels and it's the idea not a reboot not a sequel we've seen a lot of similar stuff uh with it recently Halloween is one that did that recently um I feel like James Bourne tried to do it with that Jer- Jeremy Renner movie that's a pretty bad example um then guess, yeah. Star Wars, it, what? I mean, now you keep going. James Bond was kind of like a continuation. It wasn't really a reboot, but. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is considered one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Jurassic World, Force Awakens is pretty much one. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, Superman Returns is a good example of one. Casino Royale, pretty much every James Bond, like, new incarnation is a requel. Mm-hmm. And what is your opinion on this? Because I know I've see, I see a lot of people are, get super upset, like, oh, you know, no original IP anymore. Everything's always an idea that we've seen happen. Um, no, nothing, nobody can do an original story anymore. And to that, I kind of I say, yeah, a little bit. I like original storytelling but also if you're gonna bring back a franchise that millions of people love and do it well and make it entertaining like i think jurassic world is a very entertaining jurassic park movie this new scream i thought was uh, very worthy of the of belonging in the franchise the halloween movies i think have been great like i i don't necessarily mind getting a good story out uh in the world of a franchise, plenty of people are making original stories. I think uh, it's just that that's not what gets the most press. Yeah. It's tough because like Mad Max Fury Road was amazing. And I yeah. mean, like, I guess technically it is a reboot, but it's also a sequel. It, it, yeah. it, it is in. So like the, with the requel, it's the idea that it's in line with what has happened before, but it's changing the rules and setting up a new direction for the story. Yeah, and I think that's what I like is that a reboot or a sequel, if it does something different and doesn't come off as just like a cash grab, which I feel like a lot of reboots and sequels do nowadays where it kind of just seems like they're banking on the nostalgia aspect of it and not really continuing or expanding on the story at all. Yeah, I it's that, exactly. I think creativity is creativity and just because it's under uh, a different or the same name as a bunch of other well-known movies that I don't think it's anything to like turn your nose up at. Um, yeah, like I feel like a good example is like The Matrix, the, the new one that just came. Right. Out. And yeah, go. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, was going to say like technically that's a, it's a reboot slash sequel, but they did a good job because they that movie was like reflecting on what they've done in the past and then kind of doing something new with it. Right, which, and, which I liked, and I think that's how reboots and sequels should be nowadays because they're obviously going to happen. They're going to keep happening because of how much money they make. So why not do something new and original with it instead of just repeat nostalgia? Right, and I mean, I think the nostalgia thing is a big uh, cash grab from the. Studios I mean, it does right work. Now. It does work. Yes. Seen from Spider Man. Scenes from Spider-Man, scene from this new Scream, it beat out Spider-Man. It's the first movie to beat Spider-Man in the box office since this new Spider-Man has come out. It did like 34 million or something. Spider-Man did 24. So 34 for a movie that's not connected to the MCU MCU is a pretty good number to do um, right now. And 
I honestly think it might. It's not gonna obvious. It's not gonna improve, but it's gonna, not gonna be as sharp of a drop off because I think word of mouth will actually really help this movie because a lot of people have been loving it. Um, but I feel like it also came out at the wrong time. Like it should have come out at like Halloween. Well, the all the original screen movies came out in January or, or December. Oh, yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, January, if like it's not a bad time for horror, man. Every, every it's darker. Uh, it's cold. No, Everybody's yeah. I feel inside. Like usually, yeah, usually horror movies are around this time. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a good time for a scream movie. Even though the mask is an iconic Halloween piece, um, yeah. I think January is a good time for a scream movie. Uh, anytime's a good time for a scream movie. I hope they keep <laughs> making them. I, li- I really, really like uh, the cast in this new one. And uh like like the new additions are great the old cast is amazing as always um and i think they could do i mean they could always do more stories with scream movies it's insane like the level of self-aware they get to in those movies and it's never not funny yeah like that's what i like about like sequels that or reboots that kind of are self-aware and meta like that like they're fun because they are kind of making fun of or reflecting on the past previous movies just doing something different um, like it's tough though because the force awakens i love the force awakens even though it's literally just a repeat of the previous star wars movies but i think the reason why i loved it so much is because i didn't get the chance to see the other star wars movies in theaters i didn't get like to see like the full star wars experience like our past generations have so it's exciting and fun for like for me at least but uh, yeah, but then looking back on it, like now, like it's literally just like regurgitating what they've already done in the past. So it's tough. I don't know. I'm not doing the Star Wars talk with you today. We've had this over text. I'm not doing it on the air today. I have to come more prepared. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't like the Force Awakens? I love the Force Awakens. Oh, okay. Uh, I I have just a lot. I have very strong feelings about all of that that I I have to share at another time. But <laughs> what I dislike were you know requels. I'm fine with. Something that I have been very against uh, throughout the span of this show, I think, is biopics. And, Mm. like, I've said it many a time, like, we need to take a break on this. Like, that was the biggest reason I didn't go see Spencer is, like, I I, I don't need another biopic in my life, especially about something I don't particularly care about. But But they did something different. Yes, that is true. And I will see it. I I plan on it. Um, But Mm. Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al Yankovic. Yankovic in a biopic. I'm all for it. I strap me in. You Daniel can, Radcliffe always signs up for the weirdest roles, and I love it every time. I mean, him and he and Robert Pattinson took the same route after they did their their cash grab yeah, and franchise. Elijah Wood. And Elijah Wood. Now they just make weird shit. Elijah Wood did that weird ass show about a talking dog or a man in Wolfred. a dog suit. Yeah. I, that show ruled. I watched I all of it. It was so oh, yeah. good. I can't mm-hmm. find it anymore. Oddly um, depressing, too. Oh, so depressing. Mm-hmm. It made me, like, question myself, like, many a time. <laughs> I was like, wait, what is life? What are we doing here? Yeah, that's very Why, What? Where is my Australian talking dog? But do um, you think, I mean, I'm not a huge Weird Al fan. Like, I, I don't listen to him that much. But do you think Radcliffe could pull off Weird Al? So, I am... Not still a big Weird Al fan, but when I was younger, I, uh, parody shit was the funniest thing in the world, I think, mm. when I was younger. YouTube music parodies, especially at a time when, like, Nicki Minaj was starting up and Lady Gaga and Kesha, like, 
those were at an all-time high at that era. It with pop music when in the 2000s it was very easy to parody it. And right. that's how a lot of YouTubers made their their first, you know, loads of cash was doing parody videos and that was literally started by Weird Al Yankovic. Mm-hmm. And his his stuff is one of one. Uh, like the American Pie Jedi uh parody you know have you ever seen that i never <laughs> had like a weird outfit like you, i've seen some of his stuff but he sings uh, i never got super into it he sings this it's to the tune of the song american pie he's parroting the song american pie but he is doing it as obi-wan kenobi on tatooine singing the story of the phantom menace and nice. it is hilarious um you know i i can name a bunch of them did Weird Al, would Weird Al ever do a Harry Potter uh, parody? It's not. He doesn't. I mean, it's not. He's not parodying Star Wars. He's parodying the song. I don't right. know if he ever did a Harry Potter themed one. Um, That'd be pretty ironic. But like you know, he's some of his famous ones are uh, like a surgeon, which parodied Madonna's "Like a Virgin," um, and then eat it like like uh michael jackson's beat it mm-hmm. and he's got a bunch of stuff like that and i think there is a market for it like there's a very niche group of people who are like really excited about this movie and then a lot of people who know the name and definitely know the name daniel radcliffe and are like i want to see how he pulls this off mm-hmm. um i i cannot find anything about him doing anything directly related to harry potter but Dang. um I mean, Weird Al Yankovic, he created a genre, and I think he was met with a lot of pushback about him pretty much stealing other people's songs, but I think there's a high level of creativity that comes to comes with being able to parody stuff to that totally. level. And, like, to do it, not only to change the lyrics of somebody's song that has been everywhere on the radio, you know, it's hard to get any other lyrics out of your head when you hear a certain beat, you know, and then to make it actually funny and make it make sense, I think is a, is a genuine talent in its own right. And he, uh, I think a biopic about him will be really, really interesting. The more that I think about it. Well, do you think Radcliffe can pull him off? Um, I forgot that was the original question. (laughs) (laughs) I went on a weird, weird Al (laughs) rant right there. Um, I think Daniel Radcliffe's a really talented actor. Yeah. I, I, I think he can. I, I will say though, Weird Al even now has like one of the smoothest faces I've ever seen, like no wrinkles <laughs> at all. And I think Daniel Radcliffe has a couple more than him already, <laughs> and that'll be it. yeah. But makeup, CGI, yeah. yeah. Oh man, smooth but face. Yeah, I Radcliffe. I just would like be weird. that. Yeah, that's just Daniel Radcliffe is not the first or like the tenth actor I would have thought to play Weird Al. But it weirdly makes sense to me because. Almost, yeah, because Radcliffe is kind of as weird as Weird Al is. Right, and the more I think about it, like there, it feels like there's a lot of levels to it because Weird Al would make fun of all this pop culture stuff that people are obsessed with, and Daniel Radcliffe at one point in his life was the peak of that. Right. The pinnacle of Tumblr fan fiction bullshit that people loved, and mm-hmm. now he's playing Weird Al Yankovic. It's and like, Weird Al approves of Radcliffe. So. Right. He's super psyched about it. Mm-hmm. Man, I was thinking about this earlier. It's got to be weird to have 
a biopic about you when you're alive. It must be so weird. Like, El- especially if you have no like creative control over it. Too. Right. I was thinking about. It, I was like, man, it feels too early for a weird Al doc. I don't know. I feel like he's on like the come down. But and then I was thinking this. I was like, like you already had his peak way long ago. Like I was like Spencer. You know, d- she's been dead. Freddie Mercury's been dead. Elton John. Well, he's still alive. Oh man, Elton John had to watch his own biopic. Like, <laughs> you know, it's weird. It it definitely is weird, but. I feel like once they're past their peak, like you can totally make a biopic about them. Yeah, I don't know. Like if they're already they came and went, totally. Like I get the the awkwardness and the weirdness, especially if you don't include them in the creative process of making the biopic. But I still think you you can, and it's totally fair. Like I feel like I don't know, like even like Kanye, like those the new Kanye documentary coming out. Yeah. I, I feel like it's still kind of early for him. Like, I feel like we haven't seen, like, I, I don't know about his peak, but I feel like we still are kind of on that high of, of Kanye and we still haven't, like, came off of it yet, you know? Weirdly, I think a documentary makes more sense than a biopic. True, true. That, yeah, that's a good point. This is a documentary. Like, so. this is documenting a part and, of his life. And it's life. a three-part series. So. Right. It's a it's documenting... Like it's a documentary about a, a certain section of his life, which was like the beginning of his career till which point in his in, in his career. Like I think it goes till till the Wyoming sessions. Okay, so that's a very clear section of his life, and then a bunch yeah. of weird, crazy shit happened after that. And there will probably be a documentary about all of that. But um, fair, yeah, that bio- was a good comparison. A biopic feels like you're, except for Spencer. It feels like you're trying to encompass somebody's entire life. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody made sense because Freddie Mercury dies at the end. But Elton John just kept keeps living. Like, it was weird that it didn't have any poetic... It feels like that should be the ending of a biopic. Yeah, but I feel like you still felt like the end of his career by the end of the movie. Like, you, you felt that he was, like, retired and that he was just, like, he moved on with his life. That would make sense if he wasn't still touring. <laughs> yeah, but come on. That's just a cash grab. He put out a new album last year. Dude, he he just needed s- some extra money. He can sing, and he needs no extra money. <laughs> <laughs> he, that man is very, very rich. No, no, I'm sure, like, especially when he gets to the age, like, you're, you're passionate about that stuff. It's like Scorsese. Like, you're going to keep doing what you love. Um. Right, and just like that, I hope Willem Dafoe keeps playing the Green Goblin until the day he dies, <laughs> which I am apparently not alone in. People are fucking nuts over Willem Dafoe right now. They, he, I think. Has he been in anything else besides Green Goblin? Uh, he was in Nightmare. Well, he was in Nightmare Alley. He wasn't in Green Goblin. He was. <laughs> Sorry, and Spider Man. Dude, what do you mean? Like this year? Like, this hype that's coming off of him. Um, like this, is there anything else that's driving this hype besides just everyone talking about well, Spider-Man? People are looking back at a lot of his older roles and being like, yeah, he was really good in this. Because uh, Nightmare Alley, he was in. The Card Counter, he was in. Wasn't he in? Uh, he wasn't in The French Dispatch. He was in The French Dispatch. He, yeah. he was in four movies last year. Okay. And then, like, He's also in the Aquaman franchise. He was in sorry, he was in five movies last year because he's also in Zack Snyder's Justice League. I forgot about that. Um, the Lighthouse, people still talk about that movie and love oh, that yeah. movie. Um At Eternity's Gate in twenty eighteen was a big hit for him. Murder mm-hmm. on the Orient Express in twenty seventeen. 
the Florida Project, like, it, he was in that terrible Death Note live action thing. I don't want to talk about that. He's in the first John Wick, which I noticed the other day. Like, uh, you could take his career back to, like, the 80s, and he's still in a bunch of really, really good shit. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's had a great career. 8080, The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, he was in the Jack Ryan movie, Clear and Present Danger. Like, I'm I'm not even, like, looking at the IMDb. This is coming off the top of my head. Clear and Present da- Danger is one of my favorite uh, action movies. Now I'm looking at the IMDb. He's in the fucking Aviator. The Life Aquatic is a great shout for him. Um, I mean, he is in so much sh- American Psycho. Forgot about that. Um, yeah, he's young in that. But man, well, he's not young. But it's like a two years before he did Spider Man. But Still pretty young. I, I think this last year, and particularly the new Spider Man movie, made people realize, like, oh wow, he is for real. And then like that made more people, I think, go back to do the Lighthouse, like to watch the Lighthouse, and they were like, oh yeah, he really is for real. And they want more weird Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he definitely does weird roles, kind of like Radcliffe and them. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Um, and I think more people, like, apparently, I, I, I'm in my last semester of classes, hopefully, and I walked into a class, uh, and the teacher had started five minutes early on accident, and she was like, oh, I missed you on roll, uh, and she does questions. It's like a small class, and, like, the question that day was, what's your name and who's your favorite villain? And I said, Bo Allen. I said, the green goblin, which until recently would be a pretty niche answer. I think like nobody's thought about the green goblin since 2002. And she was like, that might have to be my new band answer. Cause before it was the Joker. And now to everybody says the green goblin. Mm. And I was like, really? It's, it's insane to me that he's that he's made that character, which, I think the Green Goblin, especially in the comics, is Spider-Man's greatest enemy. That's another conversation, though. It's weird to me that it's reached a Joker level, I think, because it's not there's – ne- there's never been a Heath Ledger performance for Green Goblin. Yeah, I don't think it's reached Joker level. In terms of I fandom, it's getting there. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like we're still kind of in the, the hype of the new Spider-Man. That's and true. I, I feel like we're going to have to wait like a year from now or even like six months from now and see if we're still talking about him. I don't know if this, the, I, the, the thing is, I don't know if this movie will die. Uh, it definitely will. As soon as the next big Marvel movie comes. Mm, I don't know. We'll find out. I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I want people to talk <laughs> about this movie forever and ever and ever. Um, he's got three movies coming out in 22 in post-production right now. The Northman, uh, The Legend of Ochi, and Inside. Inside sounds pretty interesting. It's a high-end art thief who is played by Defoe. He comes trapped in a luxury high-tech penthouse in New York Times Square after his heist does not go as planned. Oh, I thought he was parroting Bo Burnham. That would be... I would watch the shit <laughs> out of Willem Defoe's Inside. Oh, yeah. Sim going crazy in one room making music? Hell, Hell yeah. Four movies in post-production. This is Dead for a Dollar. The film follows a famed bounty hunter who runs into his sworn enemy, a professional gambler and outlaw that he had sent to prison years before. The two leads are Christoph Waltz and Willem Dafoe. Nice. 
Uh, I will watch the shit out of that. Oh my god. That's awesome. But I I think I'm glad Willem Dafoe is like getting his flowers. I hate that term, but I I'm glad people are giving him the respect they that he deserves. I mean, I feel like older audiences kind of already have, but well, yeah, definitely younger audiences are catching. He he's been through these great cycles of like you know, he d- he did Last Temptation of Christ, and then he was in a Jack Ryan movie in the 80s and 90s, and, like, he was really well-respected then. And then 2000s, he got to do Spider-Man, and people loved him in those. And then more recently, I think, with The Lighthouse and these four movies this year, or five movies, he's – I mean, people have just been going crazy for him. And I, I just – Willem Dafoe seems like a very genuine, passionate guy, and so I'm happy that people are happy about him. Yeah, for sure. And we're about to talk about another one of his movies that he's going to be in. I I think he might not be in it. I can't remember if he died in the original Aquaman. But Avatar 2 and Aquaman 2 share a release date in December of 2022. You think? 100%. I mean, who wants Avatar to... is way too big for anyone to be competing with. Who wants to be seen as the wuss here? If I'm Aquaman, I'm not backing down. Aquaman is 100% moving. Avatar no. is way too big. Ooh. DC has no power. Oh, God. <laughs> um, on Screen Rant, there's an article that was published a few weeks ago. Avatar 2's groundbreaking underwater mocap is terrible news for Aquaman 2. <laughs> It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that. They're literally like kind of the same movie. Which would you rather go see first? Dude, come on. <laughs> what are we talking here? It's got to be Aquaman. You're right. <laughs> Get out of here. You're going to be the only one in the theater. I That would make my day. I would love to see that movie by myself. I saw the first one by myself, and I'll see the second one by myself. <laughs> no. Come on. Um, everyone's going to go see Avatar, and Aquaman's going to move 100%. I, th- I think you're th- you're giving a little too much credit to a, f- a, f- a movie that happened like 10 years ago that was kind Dude, of boring. We're going to see, and I'm calling it probably summer. I think summer is probably going to be the start. It's going to go on a huge uprise. Like They're going to start pumping out marketing for this movie like crazy. We're gonna go on a huge Avatar hype. Avatar is gonna get re- the first one's gonna get re-released back in theaters for a while. They're gonna build this hype like no one's business. I'm telling you, it, they're ba- they've been working on this movie for so long. Who's the uh, company behind this? I forget who runs Avatar. Aren't they? Uh, I think they're Disney now. Are they Disney? The, the Avatar is on I Disney know. Plus. Oh, they were they were 20th Century Fox, right? Yeah, and that's owned by Disney. So yeah, they're gonna have Disney money. They're they're pumping this thing like crazy. I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. I believe it's gonna get pushed and pumped and whatever, but I just I don't know. I it, I don't see a lot of people really fired up for the Avatar movies. <laughs> Nobody's really well because there's been nothing on it. We've seen one like picture from the movie, and that's it. Because it's I mean, but like I don't I've I never saw any buzz like God. We really need that second Avatar movie. They didn't wrap up that plot well enough. No, I don't think people are kind of like hyped about it right now. But I think as soon as they start pumping out this marketing, people are going to hop on the train. I don't know. It's probably not hard to get people excited for things right now. But like, in my <laughs> way my, more than Aquaman. With my 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 thinking is. I mean, yeah, I don't doubt it's going to beat Aquaman. I just don't want Aquaman to 
I don't want Aquaman to back down from a fight. I fucking They're love gonna back down, man. That Aquaman movie rules. Even though Amber Heard sucks, that Aquaman movie rules. I just I pretend was not a huge fan. I just pretend she's not there when I watch it, dude. <laughs> when Jason Momoa pushes that submarine to the surface at the very beginning, I'm like, oh, I am all the way in. Let's do it. Like it, it, it gets me so fired up. And uh, the effects are cool. Oh god, the effects are really good, yeah. actually. Like, I was really blown away with how that movie looked, and the action directing was fantastic by James Wan. Like, his, the way he spins the camera around everything, it, it just and he did it in *Malignant* in the police station fight too. Like, it's it's very impressive shit. And Yahya Abdul Mateen is in it. Like, you can't come on. It's moving, man. It's not competing with Avatar. Boba Fett was in the original. Oh, I forgot Dolph Lundgren was in it. Oh, man. Ivan Drago's in the, in your movie. You got a hit. You've seen Rocky, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Rocky Four. No. Oh! <laughs> God! Probably seen clips. Well, that's pretty much all that movie is. It's just a bunch of fucking yeah. montages. But that's fine. I actually love that movie. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to see Aquaman first. Avatar. Can, uh, I don't know about that. Avatar. Well, you might not, but I will. Avatar could kick rocks. I don't know, man. I think as soon as they start pumping this marketing, as soon as that first trailer comes you think, out, your you, mind's going to change. You think I'm going to get excited for Avatar? We did the Avatar pod, and the whole time I was like, the effects look good, but this movie is boring. Nah, you're gonna change your mind. I'm telling you. Go back. That was the first time I ever did, and I was the whole time I was like, I was like, just yeah, wait. That's great. We have it on recording now. Just Such wait. Such a weird hill for James Cameron to die on. Just you wait, man. I hate you. I have full faith in James Cameron. I, I, he. And with the power of the mouse behind him, he picked. He peaked at Terminator Two. That was his peak. Titanic sucks. All right, sorry. <laughs> I don't really care. I don't care one way or another about Titanic. All right, what you seen recently? <laughs> Gotta get off of this. Great transitions today, Bo. I know. Oh, I'm yeah. really killing it. I, I clearly planned this very far ahead. I actually did. I wrote the script early in the morning, but I didn't think about transitions or segues at all. all right. Um, <laughs> I, I did not watch much. I've been a busy man recently, but. <clears throat> Um, I finished Station Eleven, the miniseries on HBO. Um, very solid. I loved every odd number episode, but the even numbers fucking sucked. They were just so boring. But the odd numbers were killer. That when you see the show, you understand because every other episode they do like a different thing. Every every other episode's like a I guess like a flash for or flashback, and uh, all the other rest of the episodes are like in the present type of thing. Um, but the, the present was just so boring. Like I, I didn't really care for what they did with that, but the past episodes were so good that it's kept me watching the entire time. Um, so I would definitely recommend it overall. Um, Hiro Mirai directed the first couple episodes who made all of Childish Gambino's music videos in Atlanta and all that stuff. It was great. Um, then I watched Bergman Island. Um, pretty good. Came out last year. Um, it was about this these two filmmakers a couple husband and wife who uh went out to bergman island um 
inspired by Igmar Bergman, the director, um, which is actually a real place, which is crazy. I didn't know that. Um, but they went out there to like um, write their scripts that they were working on and just finish up projects and just like take a break from reality type of thing. Um, but it was solid. It was like a cool, it was kind of meta in some ways. It, it was obviously inspired by Bergman a lot. Um, I liked it a lot. It, it was very cool. Um, not much else I can say in that. It was just like it was, it was a lighthearted, fun movie. Um, and then I started Peacemaker, which is freaking, it's pretty fun. It's very James Gunn. So if you like James Gunn, you'll like Peacemaker. All right. I'm excited to watch Peacemaker. Um, I, of course, watched the new Scream, and I loved it. Um, I watched Mindhunter for the first time on your recommendation. I think I had finished season one when we talked last, and I finished season two two nights ago. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I loved that show, and now I am in purgatory. The reviews are so They're good. so good, man. David Fincher is just so good. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we at some point need to do just, uh, a mind hunter pod at some point and I'll figure out a way to work into the schedule. Um, yeah, it's a great show. I mean, it's just fantastic and it sucks that he's moved on to other things, but I really hope he does come back to it cause it's hey, phenomenal. I'm honestly a little happy he moved on to other things because that gave us bank. <laughs> fucking love that movie. Yes. You and your bank. Um, I watched... Uh, man, I watched The Greatest Showman over the weekend. <laughs> what are you doing? My, I was at my girlfriend's house, and she's always told me how great The Greatest Showman is. And I don't <laughs> mind musicals, man. I really don't. We watched Tick, Tick, Boom right after, and I was like, that was much better. <laughs> that second <laughs> one was much better. Um, Man, Greatest Showman's, it's all right. Uh, Hugh Jackman's solid cast, fun. Zac Efron's not terrible singing in it. It's just the whole time watching them sugarcoat the terrible person that P.T. Barnum was <laughs> was so weird to watch. He was like a bad, bad guy. He was not a good guy, and the 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 songs were fine. But Jesus Christ, it was one of the worst scripts I have ever heard. And the story was terrible. Yikes. We almost turned it off. Like, my girlfriend, I, like, I was saying, like, I was talking oh, about Oh, she it. wasn't even liking it? Well, I was talking about it with my girlfriend, and she was like, oh, yeah, no, I see it now. Like, I think the first time, it was like the second or third time she'd watched it, and she was like, yeah, no, it's not great. <laughs> wow. Good job convincing her. Yeah. And then last night, I watched The Master. Um, the Master. I could still talk about PTA forever i think um it's a hard watch it it what it, it was but it wasn't for me and i don't want to completely this is the last thing we have before we move on and we've already done 47 minutes um but one thing i want to say is this era of pta or I, I think it's more like the first half of his career starting with heart eight and leading into the master um he every almost every movie he made except for like Punch Drunk Love and when did Inherent Vice was after The Master, right? Yeah. And so except for like Punch Drunk Love, all of those movies that he's creating while there's other themes, a main core of it is these father-son relationships or 
relationships between men and like how like how men you know talk to each other and relate to each other and this weird like wanting to be like it's like you want to be vulnerable and talk to each other and have these relationships but they also want to remain masculine and like with the master they're it's like a father-son relationship a little bit but it's also a friendship and like it's, it's like when they when they haven't seen each other in a while like the first thing they do is they tackle each other and they're rolling on the floor and then but sometimes they hate each other and they're competing with each other you know and it's this volatile relationship and like i think everybody has friendships like that where it's like i'm either going to spend two weeks with this guy and we're gonna have the best two weeks ever or i'm gonna punch him in the fucking face because i can't take any more of his bullshit like right like doesn't everybody have friendships like that or am i alone in that I think you're alone on that, buddy. You don't know that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You don't, <laughs> like, you know. gaslighting you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing acting, and that era of PTA is super interesting because, like, you see it with There Will Be Blood as well with the father-son relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, you're totally right on that aspect. He does yeah. deal a lot with, like, father-son or, like, just – guy on guy relationships hard eight is a father-son relationship with john c Riley's character and uh what's his name i can't remember oh god he's a great actor i forgot his name uh philip baker hall mm-hmm. and um obviously i think boogie nights i don't think that one needs to be explained uh i have not seen magnolia so i can't really speak for that one but that one's an amalgamation of a bunch of different stories as far as i understand it punch drunk love that one is almost like a lack of a male-to-male relationship or a father-son relationship like a little bit adam sandler and louise having a little bit of well it's romance yeah but it's really about him and how being surrounded by seven sisters yeah impacted him Mm -hmm. and then how it almost stunted his growth in these female or male female relationships and then now um that's what he's doing right now is male female relationships with Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza, which watching the master and like, that's what really got me thinking about all this stuff. Um, and it really got me thinking about Licorice Pizza a lot more. I could do another Licorice Pizza pod. I think it's very interesting. He's got a really, really great career. And he more than almost any director is really trying to like, make you think about these themes that he's putting in his movies and like make you feel and think about what he's feeling and thinking about. Totally. It makes me wonder about his relationship with his father. Do we, do we know anything about that? Like what's his, what's their relationship like? I have no idea, but I'm sure it's been asked and I'm sure it's in an interview somewhere out there. And then, um, I was listening to Sean Fennessy talk with a bunch of people about licorice pizza and it, it, he definitely does take things from his life because the great point was made that Cooper Hoffman's character is, I mean, a teenager just like Paul's kids are now. And he wanted to, it's, it's like almost like it's a movie for them. Just, I, I think we looked too deeply at it the first time we talked about it while this age gap thing is, is definitely weird. It's more about, these two characters finding themselves and also generally, generally just like having fun being kids in Los Angeles. Alana Haim's 24, but uh, you get the sense that she doesn't know who she is. And so she's using these experiences with these kids, finding themselves as a way to find herself. Mm. 
and hearing them talk about it kind of made me see that. I, I apparently PTA has been saying like, don't even look at the age gap thing. Like it's just a thing. I, I although I, I think he's just play, downplaying it a little bit right now. I, I can't quite figure out why he like made it 24 instead of like 19 or 25. Actually, is what I think she says she is. But 25. Yeah, it's. I think more than anything, that movie is supposed to be a dazed and confused hangout movie. I don't know, but I don't. I, I love it still, man. It's it's a top PTA movie for me. But I didn't mean to turn this back into the licorice pizza pod because <laughs> we have more important things to talk about. Uh, we have got to talk about the Dark Knight. This isn't our first podcast about the Dark Knight. It did not go well the first time we did this. Nobody knows about that. <laughs> He hid that from the internet. <laughs> Should we just release that instead of talk about it? God, no. <laughs> I would retire. I did, I Man, I deleted that. I don't think it was that, that bad. But. It was terrible. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I was about to say that podcast was like two hours, but we've already almost gone for one on this. All right, let's take, <laughs> let's take a break, and we'll get back into it with uh, The Dark Knight. It's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1. And they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, It can range from hip-hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, It's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, They have great merch over there. It's all great looking stuff. Um, Definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. All right, welcome back, and we are going to tell you about The Dark Knight. If you don't already know about The Dark Knight, I think everybody knows about The Dark Knight. Jacob, tell us a little bit about The Dark Knight. (laughs) No, you're supposed to know about this, man. Uh, I'm guessing it's about a dark knight. All right, do the goddamn intro. All right, all right, all right. Um... So yeah, Dark Knight, the second film in the Batman franchise by the Christopher Nolan, written by him and his brother Jonathan Nolan. Um, I think also David S. Goyer had a, a say in it, as he usually does for all DC things. Um, but the official description for the Dark Knight is, when the menace known as the Joker wrecks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. What a description. Um, Starring, obviously, Christian Bale as Batman. Um, The Heath Ledger as Joker. Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, Two-Face. Michael Caine as Alfred. Gary Oldman as Gordon. Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and then the switch-up of Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel. 
All right, I'm just gonna give a brief uh, review of it because the reviews are all very good. I think <clears throat> what's more interesting is our takes on this. So I'm gonna read a little bit of Richard Corliss's review from Time Magazine. Uh, he said, "Beyond dark, it's as black and teeming and toxic as the mind of the Joker." Batman Begins, the 2005 film that launched Nolan's series, was a mere five-finger exercise. This is the full symphony. So, Batman Begins is actually where I want to start this conversation. Um, I didn't put it on the poll, I think, because it's the weakest of the three Batman movies, in my, in my opinion. I don't know. You might like it more than The Dark Knight Rises. Do you? Or where does it sit for you? Ugh. <sighs> It's tough. I go back and forth on it all the time because I feel like Batman Begins is definitely the most underrated of the series. I think it's definitely uh, way better than people say it is. Um, but I don't know. I also love The Dark Knight Rises too. Um, Dark Knight's obviously number one for me, but uh, I go back and forth on The Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins. I, I don't know. Um, I don't at all. Batman Begins is my least favorite of the series. Um, but I... I and I don't think it's necessarily because Batman Begins is bad. I'm not saying that. I don't think anybody really thinks it's bad. It was so interesting when it came out and it was so different from what we had really seen before it because we had seen superhero movies get serious. That was the the big problem with superhero movies up until the first X-Men and Spider-Man movies was that they were just super campy and ridiculous um you know, the Superman movies in the 70s, while fantastic, well, the first two are really good uh, movies, and the first two Keaton Batman movies obviously are darker in tone and take themselves seriously, but then they go completely camp as well, and there's a space for camp in superhero movies, and there's a space for these darker tone movies. I think Spider-Man blended them very well because he's a character that can do that, but... Batman can be campy as well, for sure, but uh, there's also a, a very easy way to take it to, with a very serious tone, and that's what Nolan did here, and that's what he did with Batman Begins. And it set this franchise apart. The MCU hadn't started yet. Uh, Spider-Man 3 hadn't even come out yet. I think that's one reason why Spider-Man 3 tried to go so dark, actually. Um And this movie was truly, like uh, I think, a superhero movie that we hadn't seen. And I think when it came, I, when at this time, like I didn't, I don't think people really thought it could get better. And then Nolan improved upon it twice and he didn't top himself with the dark Knight rises, but he topped Batman. Be he topped the shit out of Batman begins. I think it's way more entertaining. He found a way, I think to turn up the action set pieces with the second two and turn up e even the comic bookiness of the villains and still I do make agree them with darker. That. I do agree that Batman Begins obviously did have less action and the weakest villain probably. Um, but I still really enjoyed the come up. Um, and I think I enjoyed it more because when The Dark Knight Rises came out in theaters, they were doing this thing near me where they showed Batman Begins and The Dark Knight before the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. 
So I, I did the the three-peat in theaters, which was wild ride. But seeing them back-to-back, you see how much, like, Batman Begins connects to The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Like, there's so many, like, um, just little, like, things that they say that just connect back to Batman Begins. So I feel like I, I liked it a lot more because of all the connections I saw to the original and how much he made it, like, a complete story. I know those connections are there, Um for sure, and I, 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 I don't know. I think of them more as like Easter eggs, almost, because um, that Joker card at the end of the of Batman Begins, they weren't even teeing him up to be the next villain. Like originally, yeah. that was just a nod to the character. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I'm not talking about like that aspect, but no, in terms of like no. of Bruce Banner's story, it, especially in the Dark Knight Rises. I said Bruce Banner. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> I'm tired, man. It's been a long day. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Imagine a Hulk movie. <laughs> oh, a Hulk a, dark a, night. A Hulk movie had come out by then. I think one that they actually tried to make pretty dark. <laughs> but Bruce Wayne's story, you, you can, you see a lot of it, especially in The Dark Knight Rises. It like flashes back to when he first fell in the well and the bats and all that. I think it just gave me a better appreciation for his character and seeing the full arc of his character from beginning to end. Um, but I don't know. I, I also just really enjoyed watching Bale before he was actually Batman and just watching him like fist fight people, which was kind of awesome. It is. And like I said, it is interesting, but I think it is the weakest. And it's the one I find myself returning to the least, which I don't think is. A yeah, big, that's fair. Uh, it's not a it's not a shocking take by any means i think most people would say that but mm-hmm. um it had definitely set a tone um yeah and with the dark knight it changed even more so than batman begins did what superhero movies are this came out what a year after the same year as iron man which saw right, yeah. we we got um, you know, MCU movies taking themselves more seriously, not going this dark, but and they never really do go this dark. I think they try it a little bit in the Thor movies, particularly the second Thor movie, which eh. just didn't work at all. Like they try, I believe they tried, but they tried with their formulaic way, and it didn't work. And Thor yeah, is barely, and we learned Thor is not the character to go dark on. There's mm. Moon Knight would work as a great dark series because that is a pretty dark character i think we're going to get a lot of actual actually people actually saying batman ripoff about him which i think is far, very far from the true case daredevil worked as a great dark show i think daredevil's the darkest they've gone um and that wasn't even them right exactly it was connected to them but it wasn't them um mm. but it's a formula that nobody's been able to replicate. I think the people that have tried to replicate it the most are DC. Um, yeah. I mean, they had Christopher Nolan write Man of Steel. I mean, yeah, The Dark Knight, especially out of this trilogy, changed superhero movies forever. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, so. I, in my aspect, or my, the way I look at superhero movies, Spider-Man was the first big reset. It, it 
was a mass like they they were like all right we're gonna you can make little jokes and make it a little comic booky like this. What do you mean by reset? Well, I'll if you wait a second. Uh, are you talking about the OG Spider Man? Yes, Spider Man two thousand two. Okay. okay. Tobey Maguire, Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe, Spider Man movies. Okay. They were like, this is how we're gonna do it. We are going to set everything in a somewhat realistic world. How does Norman Osborn get these insane superpowers? Oh, he's doing government defense contracts. His glider is set to be used in like a war scene. And, you know, this is like right around the Iraq war post 9-11. Perfect timing for all this stuff. Um, The suit is like a body suit, an exoskeleton for people in the army for these special forces we're going to wear. I see what you're saying. Right. And so they're trying to ground everything. And yeah, making it less like fantasy and whimsical. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, it's not Jim Carrey in a full spandex suit dressed as yeah, the yeah, Riddler yeah. with question marks all over him in a lab surrounded by sharks that Robin has to take an underwater, like, little submarine to while Batman flies in in the plane above, you know? We're not doing the bat credit card anymore. We're not doing the nipples on the bat suit. Like, we are taking ourselves seriously. You can go a little bit comic booky. You know, we'll have Willem Dafoe talk to himself in a mirror and act like a crazy person. And when he's in the suit, he can give these crazy deliveries that work with the character. But we're taking ourselves seriously. And that hasn't changed. The first movie that's really had fun with itself since then is Thor Ragnarok. Um,. These Marvel movies do let themselves joke around a little bit more, but even then, it's way just, more. Yes, way more. But it, even then, it's but like, oddly enough, the Dark the, the Dark Knight's trilogy, and especially this movie, did have a lot of jokes. This movie is pretty funny. We can, we'll, yeah. we'll get there in a second. Um, they they take they they even in their jokes in the Marvel movies though, it's still it's it's not slapstick shit like we got in the early days of superhero movies with the Superman and Batman movies, it's, oh, Tony Stark's going to make a funny joke because he's wittier and smarter smarter than everybody else. You know? Right. I do agree. And that all came from this movie. Um, because Christopher Nolan clearly had a clear vision, and I think he set out to change the way we do superhero movies. It's all, I think he wanted to show that they can be taken seriously. 100%. And from the beginning, he said he wanted this to be a standalone thing. He wanted to make us three movies and then get out. Right. And which is, this the, the the I mean, with, su- oh my God, that was a great stutter through right there. Um, with these, we're leaving it in. With these uh, superhero movies, there's never really been a multiversal thing done. They, like, I they reference Metropolis in the original Batman movies. And then, like, in Spider-Man, they'll make little jokes about there being maybe other superheroes in the world. Uh, what if we call Dr. Octopus Dr. Strange? Great, but it's taken, you know? Like, that joke in Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. And, but people were pushing for stuff like that. That's what the MCU did and changed. I think Nolan, even after Batman Begins, had been like, because the, 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 nobody knew that the MCU was coming. But he was like, we're not going to see Superman in this world. We're not going to see, uh, I know this is what you want, but you're not getting it. Had he, had, I think, had he done that, 
it would have changed the course of DC forever. But well, I think he already did change the course of DC forever. I think they would not be as dark as DC tries to be if it wasn't for the Dark Knight. And I think ultimately that's for the worse. He changed it for the worse. Yeah, yeah, but I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for that either. I blame totally, you know, DC's own studios. Like they did Man of Steel, like kind of rules. Like I love that movie. I like Man of Steel, yeah. But Superman shouldn't be that dark. Yeah, but it's a cool take. Man, DC, I mean, Marvel is too. They're, DC is so campy. Like, Batman's really not even this dark. Like, he can be. There are times when he's definitely moody. But he's he can be a pretty funny guy. And, like, he's, like, hanging uh, and out I with... Feel like, I feel like he does have a charm in, in this movie, though. No, he does. He does. But, with like... The girls in the hotel pool. Right. But I think people don't see that as much. And they see... Uh, that's in. Uh, they see the darkness of it. They don't see the wittier parts of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and it, even when he is being funny, he's never having fun, ever. But there are t- like, and <laughs> Bruce Wayne adopts like a gaggle of orphans in the comic books, and like they have, they do genuinely have fun at times. The most fun he has is when he's joking around with Alfred, and that'll right. get. We're we're about to get to Michael Caine. But those are some of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, I mean, I feel like he does have some fun with Lucius Fox, too, when they're playing yeah, with all the gear. He, he does. Um, but, yeah, for overall, yes, it's, it's very dark, and there's not that many uh, charm moments. Right, and that's uh, what I think kind of screwed up the Snyderverse, or the DCverse, whatever you want to say. Because mm-hmm. Snyder already makes dark movies, and I think that's why they got him to do these. And then, like, Ben Affleck's Batman went way too dark. Um, I think this new Batman movie is going to be even dark. Like they're, they're not getting away from this. They're not, they're mm. like the public opinion of Batman is that he's just always in the shadows and stuff when it's not necessarily true all the time, but that's what will sell Batman tickets. Yeah. That, that's why I think dark Knight had a cultural influence on just right. everything. Just even Batman in general, this is stigma of Batman. So, we brought up Michael Caine uh, briefly, and... I mean, I think he's just the perfect Alfred. He nails the role. Right. So, well, what I wanted to first talk about was his... He's always in Nolan movies, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's like his... He's not ever, like, the star, but he's his guy, you know? He's his... I'm going to play... He's like a, like a sixth man, like, to put it in yeah. basketball terms. He's... I could plug you into the roster... And you're gonna bring us some energy off the bench. You're gonna like inject this movie with with something, mm-hmm. with life. And I mean, he really does. He is a great. He's a great uh, Alfred. The Batman, or the original Batman movies with Michael Keaton have a great Alfred. And I think Jeremy Irons is actually really, really charming as Alfred. Yeah. Uh, in the new ones, and I'm excited to see uh, our guy <laughs> uh, in, in the Batman. We're gonna see our guy uh, Gollum be <laughs> be mm-hmm. Alfred. I think he can be a good Alfred too. Uh, you just gotta be old, a little gray, and have a lot of charm, and you can be a good Alfred. But Michael Caine, man, in this movie in particular, he, he and actually in Dark Knight Rises, I think those are he's amazing in both of those. Yeah. 
uh, particularly Dark Knight Rises. He's throwing heat in Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. You really you sleep on I think how much he cares for Bruce. Like we don't because yeah. we've seen this movie a million times. But if you're just watching it for like the action of it, the Batman of it, the Joker of it, and you're not paying attention to Alfred, you're missing out. Oh, totally. You can um, see the passion in his eyes. It, you feel it. He's so like that's one of my favorite things about Michael Caine is how good he is with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he so badly wants Bruce to like just stop. He wants he he says it in the last one. He promised his parents that he'd look out for him, and um, and he I mean he ends up I would call it a failure in general. Yeah, because Alfred's really the only influence in his life that's telling him not to keep fighting crime and going out and putting himself in danger. But he also loves him and cares for him so much that he's not going to walk away from it. He's going to help him if he can. Exactly, yeah. And it's, oh, God, it's so good. And like well, actually, lit- Rachel, Rachel's kind of in the same boat. but Yeah, but she, we'll get to, we'll have the Rachel conversation in a minute. Um I mean, like, here's a a quote, I think, like, just their little, like, jabbing at each other relationship makes me laugh so hard. Um, You know, he goes, now you get to say, I told you so. And he was like, I don't think I want to. And then a little bit later, like a few seconds later, he goes, but I told you so. And then Mm -hmm. as they're leaving, I suppose they'll lock me up as well as your accomplice. And then Bruce Wayne says, accomplice, I'm going to tell him the whole thing was your idea. (laughs) And that part, like... Oh, it man, it makes me emotional because I'm like, that is just such a sweet moment. And yeah. what is a, like, there's little jokes here now, but it's a pretty bleak movie. And it's just like one moment when Bruce is about to, you think he's about to do something that's going to upset the balance of his life and he'll never be the same after and he might never be free again. And it's just such a sweet little moment that they sprinkle in there. And you're like, man, Michael Caine should be my grandfather. Like, Oh, he's the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And then here's another one right here. Um, when he meets, Harvey meets Alfred, he goes, oh, Rachel talks about you all the time. You've known her her whole life. And <laughs> Alfred, for one, not even the main joke, says, oh, not yet, sir. Because, you know, she's still alive, obviously. And then Harvey Dent, ha, ha, ha. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? And Alfred smiles and says, oh, you have no idea. Classic. He's the fucking man. What's the Russian for? I'm not. This one's off the dome. What's the Russian for? Apply your own bloody suntan lotion. So good. I love him. He's so pure. He's so wholesome. Michael Caine fucking rules. Um, Now we're going to go from what I feel very passionate about and very, I think, is a big part of the soul of this movie. To somebody I have no hate against, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Rachel. Rachel. Um, Where's Rachel? Maggie Gyllenhaal. Good actor? In general or this movie? In general. Yes, she's a great actress. Um, But in, in this movie, it's tough because... She's terrible in this movie. Sorry, I gotta say it. I don't think she's terrible, mm. but she's she's pl- trying to play a person. She's just like she's playing. She's trying her best to mimic a uh, actress who's playing a, a character. Like cause she had to replace a whole another actress, and that's so tough to do because Rachel Weiss, right? That's her name. 
Who? The the old Rachel? No, Rachel Weiss is a, 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 no. You just went to a Rachel. It was Katie Holmes. Sorry, Katie Holmes. I take out a completely <laughs> different Rachel. You just went to a Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's on my mind. Um Katie Holmes. I she, I think Maggie Jonal was trying to play Katie Holmes, you know? Like she was just trying to her, the best to ease the transition from going from one actress to another. And uh, that's so tough to do. It's so tough. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, who, who else has tried to, done that before? Dude, Don Cheadle. And? Iron Man 2, taking over for Terrence Howard. Mm, okay, but that's different. That's not as emotionally complex of a role. Here's my thing. I like Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel more than I like Katie Holmes. Okay. But my problem was with the Rachel character in general. I don't know. I think it's going to make me sound like an idiot if I like and it's the same problem that I have with the Raimi Mary Jane character. It's you they, they man, it's so weird. They like they're very finicky about they don't know what they want that's my biggest like i it's not obvious obviously not every character has to have clear desires i think towards the the reason i like this rachel is because she clearly defines that she wants to be with harvey there's that little moment where she's like bruce i can't wait that long blah 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 oh maybe we'll have a shot but then she's like writes the letter she's like i'm gonna be with harvey that's my choice katie holmes is like doing this weird run around with Bruce in that whole movie and then it's strange it's she's it but she's she, well uh, I will I will say this real quickly that Rachel is at least better than Mary Jane because she finds out about the secret identity and is like okay I know that I won't be able to handle this we can't be together Mary Jane finds out about it and then complains when he has to be Spider-Man all right sorry that's my ta- that's my Spider-Man 3 tangent <laughs> No, I mean, I'm just regurgitating what I just said. It's tough to to play another character. It's tough to play a character in a trilogy that all connects where you're, like, the only actress who's changing. It's just, it's tough. She's not in the third one. (laughs) No, that's, that's fair, but still, just going from someone who's portraying a character to then you having to portray, like, the same, trying to portray the same exact way and, like, nuances of that character from another actress i don't know that's super tough um but i think she did the best she could i didn't mind maggie gyllenhaal in this at all um i didn't love her performance but i thought she she did her job and i think she did have a passionate performance especially when she's tied up at the end um crying out to batman that's pretty good that's really good i just a great job there I, i i don't think this the way this character was written and this is a thing with Nolan, right? Isn't he? He famously writes women terribly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, does he have any really good female characters? Inception, I thought at first, and then like I went back and watched that movie again. I was like, she's not great. Um, Ariadne. Yeah. Ariadne is that her name? Ariadne. What's that girl's name? Not the actress. Um or actor the character's name Ariadne Ariadne this is gonna bother me I gotta check Inception's IMDB now 
Uh, Elliot Page played Ariad- Ariadne. I, okay, so that doesn't help me. <laughs> Ariadne. I don't know. You're not helping me at all. I don't know. God, you're so useful. They ever even say her name Fucking, in that movie? Yes, they do. Um, I mean, and Rachel here is just not very well well written. Um, I don't have anything against Katie Holmes or Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal, I wouldn't be shocked if she ends up being a better director than actress, though. We'll see. People are loving The Lost Daughter. All right. Um, another uh, – the cast of this movie, I think, really helps make it, which is why I have Gary Oldman – listed here uh he loves being able to do an accent man <laughs> you give him the shot to do an accent he is on if you get and if he gets to wear prosthetics oh brother he's in you're telling me i get to dress up like fucking winston churchill i get to wear a fat suit and be bald let's do it true romance i get to, in true romance it's one of my favorite movies ever he is a he is a white guy with dreads who tries to talk like he's a gangster. It's ridiculous. He loves it. He got to play Dracula, man. And he's like, all right, three movies where I get to be this, like, tough cop making the hard decisions, you know, working with Batman. You better sign me up. Yeah, and I feel like other Gordons were also, like, like we talked about, this, like, more goofy and just, like, not as serious as he was played here. Like the, here, he was really like very serious conversation, especially when he was talking with Batman. No joking around. Um, always like nervous and trembling. Um, the Michael Caine, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Batman, Gordon's. Even when Tim Burton was doing it seriously, that guy was a bumbling idiot. Yeah. Here, he actually does savvy police work. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think. So I really like this portrayal, especially from Gary Oldman. I don't think J.K. Simmons got a fair shake. Uh, I think he could have mm. been a really good Commissioner Gordon. Uh, am very excited for the Batman's Commissioner Gordon. Oh yeah, that Jeffrey is Wright. that is Jeffrey Wright is my dude. I am so pumped for him. Um, and then uh, I mean. He he's another I think it's like it's really it really is if you look at it it's constructed almost like a basketball roster he's a glue guy like we'll put him in a scene he's gonna get off some generic cop lines but you're gonna feel it and you're gonna feel the emotion like he really cares uh, uh, about this guy with clown paint on his face like no but they're all necessary because they're all building up to the end with this right family. that's what I'm saying like mm-hmm. I'm saying like he's it's just they got the perfect actors for this movie who are going to go all in on this type of thing which if you're trying to make like if you look at the premise of it a, a, a bat fights a clown a guy who thinks he's a bat fights a clown and the whole city watches you have to get people that are going to sell that and these are everyone here goes all the way in yeah but you're not really selling that you're selling batman and the joker because at this point everyone knows batman and the joker Yes, but no, because people only know it from the Tim Burton movies. The Joker yeah. was the first big villain. But even there, like, in, if you look back on it with your 2008 mind, or even your 2020 mind, 2022 mind, God, it's 2022. I had a weird flash right there. <laughs> if you look back on it, and then you look at those movies, for the time, they were dark as shit. But if you look at it now, 
super campy. I mean, he's he's smashing uh, up a no, to, mu- totally sorry. campy. But yeah. that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying people know of the Joker. You're not trying to sell like a, a clown. Like people just know about the Joker at this point. But what my what my point is, yes, people know about the Joker. I, I probably got off on the wrong way to describe this. My point is, on paper, this shit looks ridiculous. Even if you know about it, like the idea of it is is frankly quite is very ridiculous. And the thing so, is, I I th- yeah I think you're right. On paper, it does sound ridiculous, especially like a serious Joker, because right. like you said, everyone knows about he's a clown. Like, goofy jo- yeah, but I think as soon as you see the trailer and you just see Heath Ledger's face, it, you instantly are in on it. Instantly. Well, this is what I was getting to my point was they got the right people for this that are going to go all in and make you believe in this yeah. world okay yeah. gary oldman is somebody that will commit to being a police a, a the head of a city of police officers and he's gonna talk to a bat on the roof of the fucking gotham city police department it's unreal and it's perfect it's great Aaron Eckhart, like yeah, CGI me up, man. We'll burn half my face off, and we're gonna we're set we're tabling the last two big actors for this because real quick I want to talk about Hans Zimmer because talk <laughs> okay. about going all in. Is this his best score he's ever done? No, really. Interstellar. By you far. think really? By far. Inception. No. I think that one sounded think, like it hurt. That one sounded like it hurt. No, because I think Inception <laughs> is the most influential of his, but I don't think it's the best. Uh, when I was at Barnes and Noble today buying my Godfather book, and I bought a Cormac McCarthy book, I went and looked at the vinyl section, and you know what's still being printed in massive amounts? The Dark Knight score. Yeah, I mean it's a great score. It. Hans Zimmer can fucking bring it, dude. I mean, people also forget he did The Lion King, too. Yeah. Oh, man, I, you, you got me. I fucking forgot he did The Lion King. God, yeah. is he the greatest of all time? Is he the GOAT? I think he's the GOAT, yeah. Uh, but then, like, John mm, John Williams. Mm, no. Jaws? Maybe. John Williams is iconic, but Hans just, he's got that resume, man. All of his scores are iconic. Yes, I for, how could I forget the Boss Baby family business? <laughs> yes, I can't believe he did that. It's so weird. It really is. He's got a weird career. Weird looking. Yeah, he did both Boss Babies. Ooh, why? There's an interview about why he did it. I forget what it was, though. Kung Fu Panda. Great score. Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's very up and down. He did The Wonder Woman score sucks. I will say that. I hate it. The guitar. ha <laughs> Um, but either way, the Dark Knight score. Ooh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, banger. Fantastic. Rango. I think. I Best think the score. Movie of the twenty first century. The the score in this movie one hundred percent like helped with everything in terms of like the tone, just the intensity of everything. It's perfect. Did I say Danny Elfman? No. Del- Danny Elfman, beast. But just the slow crescendos <laughs> in this movie, dun, dun. like you just, you just feel like you're the Batman. It's, it's amazing. Can you sing me a little bit more? No, that's all I the got. Score. <laughs> just do a little bit more Hans Zimmer score for me. I just love when the strings just escalate. The strings are great. It's perfect. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So Christian Bale. I, I mean, think he's the best Batman we've had. I th- I wouldn't. Uh, I I. Oh. I know it's tough, but no, I agree. Just the the interrogation scene alone just is perfect. That's some table that, that sold f- me on him. Table that for a second. Push okay. that push that to the side. We'll get there. Um, best Batman so far. I have a lot of faith in old Bobby Pattinson. Patterson. Okay. We're talking about Bale, though. I know. I know. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want to debate Batmans right now. <laughs> we can do that another day. Christian Bale, as an artist, is somebody we don't see very often. Mm-hmm. His commitment to this shit is literally unhealthy. Yeah. His... I mean, he did uh, Batman Begins, and then in between, didn't he drop a bunch of weight for some movie? What movie was it? The Fighter. No, that's not in between. That's in between. Sorry, that's in between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. But he also did, in between Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight, he did one, two, three, four, five movies. Mm Mm-hmm insane one two of them being the prestige and 310 to yuma which are two movies that are, he's also known for yeah but that, that that really has nothing to do with his performance in this no no no. that's not what i'm talking about i'm just talking about him as a actor as an artist as a whole he's a crazy person yeah. his his weight gain like and loss is so extreme it's like gary oldman Looking at prosthetics, he's like, oh, I can gain 250 pounds for this role. And then a year after, I have to drop down to 125 to be this fucking starving artist. Perfect. Let's do it. And, like, it's – the commitment to it is uh, unparalleled, I think. Uh, I just think Christian Bale, he's got that charm, which is necessary. He he can play a, a perfect Bruce Wayne. And he's also just got the intensity for Batman, too. Like, he's screaming his heart out in, in all these scenes. Like, his voice, he has sometimes, it gets silly, and it's like become memeable at this point, but it worked. It worked so well. Um, so is, is Bruce Wayne just a teensy bit Patrick Bateman? In terms of what? How he's playing him. Oh. Have you seen American Psycho? Yeah. Um, Think about I guess. It. I mean, sure. Th- you're going to have influence. You're, it's, right. It's You're the same person. Like There's a little bit of yourself in every role you play. Well, but. I'm not saying this is a negative. I'm saying it is a positive. It's. I think he had an experience. He got to play a rich American businessman playboy type role. Obviously, a different kind of crazy. But he was able to, like, his Bruce Wayne is a little Patrick Bateman in that, like, it's this savvy, on the outside, pretty charming businessman who's hiding something in the back of his head that's the real side of him. Like, he had experience with this before. Yeah. I And I think it, it helped him a ton with this role because he is so freaking good. I love it. Um, yeah, and he looks great in the costume too. He looks really good in it. He looks a big part of it. And this is an, another big part of it. 
the when he's like shirtless, I'm like, yeah, that guy could be Batman. Mm-hmm. Like he's so freaking ripped in this movie. Yeah, and I feel like in the Dark Knight Rises, he he's in even has like an almost better performance, especially when he's in the um, um, Bane's cave or whatever when he's fighting him. All right, I want to. Like Hang on, we're at a table. Dark Knight Rises for a second. I know, I know. I don't want. I I hate cutting you off, but I want to have a Dark Knight Rises conversation when we can fully focus on it. Not like a different episode. I just mean towards the end of this. Um, so we're talking about method acting and Christian Bale's method acting, and of course, when we talk about that, you have to talk about Heath Ledger. Which this people say this role killed him. Um, I think he he probably he had pretty bad. I think addiction problems before this role. I don't think it helped him, but yeah, watching this uh, always makes me a little bit sad just because of how talented Heath Ledger was. I mean, it, I think it's one of the greatest performances of all time. It is. It's why that's why the Oscars got it right. The Oscars, you know, they got this one right. They had to. They they mm-hmm. could not fuck around with this one. Um, I mean, he's, he's completely transformed in this movie. So I'm saying as soon as you saw the trailer and you saw him, you just realized he was a completely different person. You didn't need to see any more than just his facial expression and you can see it. I have this weird thing where when I watch this movie, I try and look through the makeup. I you can't. can't see Heath Ledger. It's you insane. Can't. It looks nothing like him. It's not even just looks. Like in his eyes, he's just he's another person. The- he's completely transformed. This was the first Heath Ledger movie I ever saw because when it, I mean, when it came out, we were 10. So I'm not watching, you know, I'm not watching Brokeback Mountain (laughs) when I'm seven. It's not. No, uh, this is my first as well. Yeah. Yeah. Brokeback Mountain. I mean, I just had no interest in in that. In that. I mean, it's a great movie. A Knight's Tale is maybe something else that other people had seen by then. The Patriot, maybe. Ten Things I Hate About You, maybe. But then again, like. We didn't have streaming and stuff, so 10 Things I Hate About You, those movies he's in aren't jumping off the boxes to me when I go to Blockbuster. I mean, no, I mean, older people than us knew him from Brokeback, for sure. Right. Um, And so when I... Which is why it was so shocking. When I... But I think something that we went through, and maybe you had a similar experience... Well, always watched him in The Dark Knight. I never really had a grasp on anything else he did besides I knew he was in Brokeback Mountain, but I hadn't seen it. And then the first movie I watched of his was uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. That was the first time I had seen him outside of, outside of the makeup, pretty much. And mm. I was like, holy shit. This guy did that? Like, it's yeah. it's mind-boggling. Yeah. I love Ten Things I Hate About You, too. It's a great movie. But if you – if like – it's weird. It's almost weird watching it in reverse order, because if like you were to tell me that he played the main love interest in a '90s teen movie, I would be like, "Fuck you, you're lying to me." Right, right. And then yeah. if you were to tell somebody in 1999 when Ten Things I Hate About You would come out that he was going to play one of the most revolutionary movie roles of all time in a comic book movie that ends up killing him and he wins an Oscar, they would be like, "What the fuck are you talking about? The guy's Australian. <laughs> like, he's not going to be the Joker." It's insane. Yeah, I mean, just everything about his performance, his mannerisms that he did, the way he spoke, his cadence, his, yeah, just like the way he, like, slicked back his hair, the way he licked his lips, his mm. movements while he walked. It's just every little thing was just so specific and so unique. It just completely transformed him. Um, 
I mean, he, him holding the video camera to interrogate, like to when he's pretty much killing that fake Batman, you know, he mm-hmm. did all that himself. It's not Christian Bale setting it up for him. And it feels like he's this psychopath. Because he mm-hmm. became, I mean, he became this psychopath, but like, I, nobody, I, I think uh, we could sit here and talk about it all day, but I still don't think we understand the extent of what he went through to get in this mindset. I mean, no uh, one will, but. No one ever will. Like that hotel room he locked himself in and like drawing on the mirrors and ta- doing nothing but talking to himself and driving himself insane. Like we talk about Christian Bale as a method actor, actor man. Heath Ledger went above and beyond and it showed on the screen but it it really makes you think about the tolls like some of these people put themselves through to give get these performances daniel day lewis is a fucking psychopath too that's why he lives mm-hmm. in like a cabin and's made like 10 movies in his life yeah him jared leto joaquin to an extent i don't want to talk about jared leto in the same conversation <laughs> as heath ledger that was a look they're both method actors yeah they are i like jared leto too this is not like a anti jared leto i just think he his joker was not great although joker his joker was redeemed by Zack snyder's suicide squad but that is a conversation for another day i can <laughs> i can talk about Zack snyder's suicides not suicide squad justice league sorry <laughs> um and i so we're talking we're talking about these method actors uh and these two people who that's i mean Heath Ledger, i don't think was particularly known for that before this movie but that's what he's known for now uh, and Christian Bale's always been known for that. And we got – they don't share the screen together until 52 minutes into the movie, and that's a quick moment in his penthouse. And then we get them in the tunnel chase, and Bruce Wayne's unconscious the next time we see them on screen together, and then uh, and then we get the interrogation scene. Yeah, and I think the whole movie was kind of – for Bale and Ledger, it was just building to that moment, and then they both just let loose. And it's just incredible to watch. It is. Uh, because they're I, both just giving some of the best performances they've ever done. It's the uh, it's the <laughs> heat diner scene if it had taken place in <laughs> an alleyway and not in a diner. Like, they are. It was an alleyway. No, no, no. no. I know. <laughs> I'm, I know. I'm just like in a situation where they could go at each other. And not like they're doing the, so this movie was very inspired by heat. Yeah. Like Christopher Nolan has said that that's why William Fickner is the bank manager. And this like meeting in the middle where while Batman is beating him up, they're pretty much talking and they're sparring each other with words, even though Batman's kind of letting it get out of control and he's throwing him around a little bit. It is that heat scene in the diner, but for superhero characters. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of what we see in that s- scene where it's and it's more the Joker doing it, but it's we're not that different. We do the same thing. We're we are the same coin, but we are two sides of it. Right. Good reference. I mean, that's that's what they say pretty much in Heat, but it's also Harvey Dent plays into yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> like if you want to look at it, think <laughs> weirdly. This is going to have to make sense. A three-sided coin. One is Harvey Dent with the law. One is Batman doing good as a vigilante. And then one is the Joker being chaos. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what this movie is. is It's this – it's like a dance pretty much between these three entities all 
two pushing for the same thing in different ways and one fighting against it. And the movie really, unfortunately, is like, yes, people ended up doing good and not blowing each other up, but uh, but chaos wins. Harvey Dent, mm. Harvey Dent went crazy, went on a killing spree. Chaos won. They did their best to cover it up, but lies can't stay uncovered. That's what happens in The Dark Knight Rises. It came back to bite them. The, yeah. Like, the, what the Joker did in this movie fucked Gotham for the third one. Die hero, live live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Man, I will say one one thing that you can always tell the importance of a movie off of. I think is how well it gets memed, and this movie has so many of those moments. Like enough from the clown, live long enough to die a villain. Um, I mean, a lot of what the Joker says becomes memes. Rachel became a massive meme. I mean, not even just that, like, iconic scenes that came out of it that get reposted all the time. Yeah. Joker sticking his head out of the police car, the truck flip, the motorcycle. If, There's so many scenes that are just um, spewed throughout social media if it can all be, the time. If it can be, get, like, uh, it's one reason I think Mad Max Fury Road was going to be so successful because, like, as soon as that movie hit video or streaming or whatever, the Tom Hardy, that's bait, gif. That's everywhere now. Like it's the the guy playing the fire guitar on the like that's I, I in the 21st century a sign of a really good movie. I think Licorice Pizza is going to be meme to hell when it comes out. Uh, maybe. It's a but, little bit of reach, but dude, I've already got some great reaction gifts that I could I could <laughs> use off of that movie. Yeah, you're you're gonna start the trend. A new Quentin Tarantino movie comes out. I'm doing the gif of of Cooper Hoffman staring at a lot of Heim's feet. <laughs> um, got totally sidetracked. But I mean, it, this. I'm glad this movie. I, I always talk about like a lot of movies that rip off Heat because Heat is uh, one of the is probably the most influential heist movie there that's ever been made. I'm glad this movie rips it off in all the right ways and makes changes in places that it needs to, obviously, because it's not a straight up, it's not a heist movie. But the, I think Heat is a great way to write two characters that are sparring each other pretty much in this way, um, you know, on opposite sides throughout the movie. And then they have this meeting where they come together and then it's going to end up in a big showdown. I think this is the way to do it. Yeah, 100%. It's so good, man. It's so good. Um, and, s- and it's crazy that the interrogation scene is like, I guess, a little bit more than halfway through the movie. And then there's still the whole Harvey Dent um, storyline. And it's still as exhilarating as that interrogation scene. I mean, it won't reach that those highs, but it still keeps that, that playing field going for the second half of the movie. The Harvey Dent stuff kind of loses me a little bit in this movie. It's necessary, but it loses me a little bit. I think it's not, it's just, it can't be as interesting to me as Batman and the Joker, which is. I don't think it's as, I don't think it loses me. It's definitely still as intriguing to me. It's just where I kind of like, like the Joker stuff gets wrapped up and then I'm like, and then when I'm like watching it for the 20th time, I'm like, oh, now we have to go to the fucking warehouse. And we're going to take forever to jump off the roof and kill Harvey. Like, you know, like 
sometimes I'm in a hurry and that extra 30 minutes tacked on here. I'm like, all right, let's, uh, let's get this, let's get this moving on. <laughs> like last night, like when I'm in a mood to watch this movie, which probably happens twice a year, like I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm all the way in. But when I had to watch it for this, the Joker stuff, I'm all the way in on. And then Harvey becomes Two-Face and I'm like, oh God, can we just move it along? <laughs> I guess, but I, I feel like that's just from us watching it so many times. Yeah, uh, which is what I mean. It's not slighting that stuff. It is. Yeah. The it is more a a push boosting up how good this Bale and Ledger stuff is. Right. Because right. they're so good against each other that Aaron Eckert can't keep up. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's like trying to keep up with like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. You, somebody's got it like they didn't play all play on the same team but somebody on that court has to be scotty pippen right and is grinding but just isn't going to be as famous as those guys as 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 talented as those guys um 100 percent. but i think he still does a great job with what he was given so the dark knight rises that was, I think, a fantastic follow-up to this movie. It's the only one that I saw in theaters, unfortunately. I didn't see The Dark Knight in theaters because I was 10, and my parents were like, no. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's a great follow-up. And it is the, these three movies as a whole are great at building off of each other, and it takes... Um, I what I think is a pretty lo- like a a one like almost like a one on one match between the Joker and Batman and puts him one on one with Bane, but Bane's stakes are the entire city in a much more real way. You know, like Joker's like if I do this, the city's gonna plunge into chaos, but Bane's like I'm gonna just blow this bitch up. Yeah, because I think. Dark Knight just dealt more with Batman's internal dilemmas. And then Rises was more about Gotham itself and protecting the city. But it's also his inter- it's his internal and physical dilemmas almost because it's like... Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, him mentally not being all there the first time he goes to fight Bane and then he has to come all over all that shit over the... In, in, oh, brr, God, he has to overcome all that shit in the right. pit. Um, no, totally. But I think Joker was playing more mind games while Bane was just destroying Gotham. I think uh, we were talking about this. I think uh, Christian Bale looks his best as Batman in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, <laughs> he is. And I also I, it's weird. What do you think is an easier re- rewatch rises or night? They mean easier. Like which which one? Is it just an easier like to put on and just enjoy yourself? When I put on rises, I think so too. Like I am more often going to watch The Dark Knight Rises than The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight is just it's darker. It's darker. It, it really it's is fucking stressful, man. It is. Yeah, but the Bane's ra- a, Bane's just like a little, he's a little more goofy, not as much, but he 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 pulls off more jokes. I mean, he pulls off more he blows up a fucking football field and is like hello gotham and i'm like this guy rules yeah but Heath ledger i'm like i'm gonna have nightmares tonight like mm-hmm. and also the i think the action is better in rises because dark knight is a little bit more of that mental square off but like when 
the second time they fight each other and Bane and and Batman are like throwing people out of their way and kicking ass and getting to each other to fight on those court steps and then mm-hmm. it turns into literally like it looks like a boxing match cuz it's all body blows and then going up top like it looks so good and I am obsessed with it. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And Hans Zimmer's score booming in the background. That might be Hans Zimmer's best Batman score. This isn't the Dark Knight Rises pod. I just want to do a few minutes on it here. Um, I think that's his best. That's the Hans Zimmer's best Batman score is Dark Knight Rises, honestly. Um, it's his loudest. It's so fucking mm-hmm. loud in that theater. Like It felt like it was happening in my brain. But... A lot of I've, I, the biggest criticism of Rises is people saying it's too long. It's fourteen minutes longer than The Dark Knight. Disagree I, with that completely. I don't. Yeah, or twelve minutes longer actually. It's not too long. People no. think it's too long. There's too much in this. No, there's not. No, it's perfect length. Exactly, and it's not. And it's and like I said, this isn't a negative necessarily for the movie, but with the dark Knight, like you finally get that Joker tension off of you. And then, uh Oh, here comes the Harvey Dent plot line. We're, we're putting on at the end. It's a necessary thing, but like you could, in a rewatch, you can be like, Oh, this feels a little tacked on, but with the dark Knight rises stuff, everything there is essential. Mm-hmm. 100%. Even There's the no- Catwoman stuff. We, we we talk about, like, oh, movies don't need to be this long. That movie has to be that long. <laughs> like there's no other way. Especially you as a movie. conclusion to a trilogy. Too. Right. It wraps it up with a perfect bow on it. This this Dark Knight series was very well executed. Um, I am very grateful to Christopher Nolan for giving it to us. Uh, we need to start wrapping up here, but I will ask you this: might not, maybe not a perfect film. It's got its flaws, but in terms of the spectacle of movies, is Dark Knight a perfect movie? Uh, yeah. All right, you're getting sorry. Bored. I'm, I'm not getting bored. <laughs> been a long day man i know it has all right we'll wrap up here uh dark knight's a perfect movie in my opinion i it's no i agree yeah i mean like i like i said it's got flaws it's got iffy acting from maggie joan hall at parts it's got some things i think that move a little slower paced than they need to be but i don't know how i would change them it's i'm not saying it should have won best picture that year but in terms of like this is why we go to the movies this this is why we go to the movies to see stories like this, you know, to be put into worlds like this. Mm-hmm. It, it's this like this is how superhero movies should be. It's right. It's like it, it's something similar. I felt when I watched Dune. It's something similar. I felt like this is what I feel like when I watch the original Spider Man too, or um, more recently, and not to bring it up for like the fifth time this this uh, recording, but. Licorice Pizza made me feel like that. I was watching this movie and having a blast with it, and I was like, this is Paul Thomas Anderson. I feel like that with most Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Like, this is movies, you know? It's just something where you're smiling, and you're like, this is fucking movies, man. This is what we like. It's great. Yeah, I love it's just, it. It's just very hard to replicate. All right. Do you want to rank all your Nolan movies real quick, or do you not have the energy? Do you not have a list prepared? That's just not It's possible. It all changes right. all the time. I was trying to hurt, you, like, make you like go through a little pain right there to rank all your Nolan, all your Nolan movies. Interstellar um, number one, Dark Knight two, and then Big Gap, and then <laughs> no, uh, probably Prestige, oh. Dunkirk. Ugh. Um, I don't know, but then Inception. <laughs> 
That was awesome. Your brain like broke for a second. Right I there. tried. That's, that's my best go at it. Tenet? I don't know. I I feel like Tenet is, uh, I guess, last. It's. I mean, I don't, I don't yes, Tenet slander. Fuck that movie. I hate it. <laughs> that's a different pod. Uh, I hate Tenet. All right, Denis Villeneuve next week. Uh, are you frozen? Oh my God, you were sitting so still. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Denis Villeneuve next week. Uh, Dune's too recent. I don't think we can put Dune on a poll. Uh, so, as long as Jacob doesn't have any problems with it, our poll next week will be Sicario, Prisoners, Blade Runner 2049, and Arrival. I like it. All right. He likes it. <laughs> um, I, I, Arrival would be a very fun pod for us to do. After, like, I feel like we both have, like, very like that's a very important movie for me it's in my top 10 of the decade right like i feel like we both have very similar feelings about that movie Uh, we've talked about it enough without having to do a whole episode on it a whole episode would be very very fun it's up to the audience it is uh unfortunately who are the audience no not unfortunately (laughs) they're not always right i'm gonna change the rules it's gonna be what i want to do forever and always now no, no. Go vote. It's still going to be votes. Um, I'll get that poll up soon. Um, speaking of things that are going to be out soon, uh, as of recording, this is Wednesday, January 19th. If you are listening to this before or after uh, Thursday, January 20th, at 3 p.m., our first written article, written by me, will be up on ABC Movie Show's uh, blog site. So... You can go through our Twitters to find that uh, link because I don't have the link memorized off the top of my head. I should probably do that for next time. It is my on-screen review of Scream. Uh, I do not think I spoil anything, so go check that out if you want to know if you should see the movie or not or if you saw it and you were a fan of it. Um, As always, the poll will be at, uh, at ABC Movie Show on Twitter. Jacob, you got anything left? That's it for me, homeboy. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of the ABC Movie Show. It was a fun movie to talk. It was a fun movie to talk about. We'll be back with more Denis Villeneuve next week. See y'all next time.